0: Well good morning and uh, welcome to Sojourn. My name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning on a dreary Sunday morning. Uh, in case you're confused this morning, if you've been coming here for a while, I think this is the very first time I've ever worn a tie on a Sunday morning. Uh, this is not normal attire for Sunday. I'm going to do a wedding uh, right after this in Orange, Virginia. And so I need to kind of book it after the service is over. Uh, and so, but hey, if you want to wear a tie here, you totally can. If you don't, you don't have to. So that's the beauty of gathering together as a church here. So, man, it's good to be with you this morning. If you are new here, I uh, would love to meet you. Uh, this, today after the service, I'm going to be, like I said, cutting out early, but hopefully you'll stick around for a few weeks and I get a chance to say hello to you. Uh, every week from at Sojourn, we preach from the scriptures. And so if you need a copy of the Bible this morning, would you just raise your hand? We'll have a few folks bring a Bible around to you. We'd love for you to be able to read uh, along with us this morning. We're in the book of Matthew, and Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's the first gospel account of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so you can go ahead and flip open to Matthew. Uh, and if you don't actually own a Bible, no, those are there for you to take home. Uh, we want you to have God's Word in your hands. So that's a gift to you if you need it. Uh, but as we're getting started this morning, let's just go to the Lord in prayer uh, before we get into His Word. Father, we're grateful to be able to gather together this morning. Today is a a, a dreary, rainy day, but it's a joy to be able to gather together as your people. And so this morning, as we open up your word, my prayer is that you would make clear to us this morning that it's through the power of your word, and as the Spirit uses the preached word, that transformation happens, that we understand more of who you are, that we see our hearts and our lives aligned to what you've called us to. And so our prayer this morning is that you would do that work. We we pray that for your glory, for our good, that you would do a significant work in our hearts this morning as we look at a text that can be challenging to us. But as a kind Father, would you both instruct us this morning and discipline us where we need to be disciplined. And Father, we just want to honor you in all that we do, not only today, but every day here on out, and pray that our time together this morning would be helpful towards that end. So we submit this time to you, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, a few months ago, uh, a good friend of mine came to visit me. He uh, lives out of the area, and it's a guy I've known for about 17 years or so, and he, and he just came up for the weekend just to, to hang out and visit. And so on Saturday afternoon, we were trying to think of something to do, and, uh, and so we ended up going bowling. And uh, I like to go bowling. In fact, I took bowling as a class in college. True story. Uh, some colleges have bowling as class, and when you got that, you got to take it. So, uh, so I took bowling in college. But I don't go very often bowling anymore. But this particular day, there wasn't really anybody at the bowling alley, and so I think we bowled four or five games, something like that. Had a good time. The next day was Sunday, and I noticed about halfway through the day on Sunday that I was feeling like really sore, like kind of like right here, like in this area. And, and I thought about it. I was like, man, what's going on? Like, I guess I've been standing up for a long time today. I'm really kind of feeling my mid-30s today. And maybe I have arthritis or something in my hips. And it wasn't until later on in the day, and I was still feeling pain. And all of a sudden, I remembered, I went bowling yesterday. I'm sore from bowling. Like, who gets sore from going bowling? I mean, but have you had those moments before, like where you've gone to the gym after a long hiatus, uh, maybe for the first time ever, and, and you, you, the next day or two you feel sore? Or maybe you haven't thrown a ball in a long time and you throw it out with your buddies or something like that, and all of a sudden your old throwing arm's not quite what it used to be and you feel sore the next day. Or maybe you hold a baby for a while and you're not used to you don't have mom arms. And so you get sore from holding that baby, like your wife's totally fine with it or, or your, your friend's totally fine with it. But as a dude, you're just like, man, I feel like sore from just holding this baby. So what's going on with that? Why do we feel that way when we do things like that? I mean, I think the reason is, and we know it's not just because we're so atrophied that we atrophied in our muscles that we can't do something. It's that our muscles aren't used to doing something, this particular thing. They haven't practiced this motion and movement that helps them to be used to going into the thing that we're doing. So in my particular case, it was bowling. My body wasn't used to doing that motion and movement over and over and over again, and so I was sore the next day. See, consistent movement and motion for muscles allows you to do things with greater ease than when you first began. And so today, as we get into our text, we're going to look at another characteristic of God's kingdom people. We've been walking through this series called Inverted Kingdom, where we're looking at uh, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, where Jesus teaches and preaches what's often called the Sermon on the Mount. And, and what Jesus is doing in these few chapters is really outlining and showing us what does God's kingdom really look like. And what we see and what we've seen is it's inverted; it's flipped upside down from what the world would say the kingdom of uh, the kingdom should look like. And so Jesus is teaching on this, and he's he's laying out in these first few verses what it means to be blessed in Jesus' inverted kingdom. And here today we see that being merciful is something that's blessed. So here's the interesting thing about this. About a year ago at Sojourn, we did a whole sermon series on mercy. It was almost exactly a year ago that we walked through this whole sermon series on mercy. Mercy, in fact, we even referenced the verse that we're going to look at today, that we're going to preach on today. So my question for us this morning is, how are we doing as a church family, as God's kingdom people, with being merciful? Are we marked by mercy? How how are we doing? Are we seeing consistent movement and motion to exercise these muscles of mercy to be and do what God has called us to be and do, both as individuals and as a church family? Being merciful is something that I desire for our church to be marked by and be known for, not to make much of ourselves. It's not so that people can say, oh, Sojourn is so great. Look at us so that we can get pats on the back. I I want us to be marked by that, known for that, so that in doing that, that we make much of our merciful King who's shown great mercy to us. So here's my hope for today. My hope for today is that no matter where we find ourselves on our spiritual journey that God would use the preaching of his word to encourage us, to challenge us, to discipline us, to bless us, to reinvigorate us. To be who he's called us to be. To be a merciful, merciful people for his glory and the good of others. The good of others both inside and outside of the church. So may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. If you haven't already, flip open to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to begin, we're going to look at and focus on one verse, verse 7 this morning, but as we've done the last few weeks, I just want to read from the beginning of chapter 5, starting in verse 1, to to set up what Jesus says to us this morning. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says this, Seeing the crowds, He, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when He sat down, His disciples came to Him. And He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Again, over these last few weeks, we've looked at these first few verses here as Jesus is beginning His preaching and teaching to His kingdom people on what life looks like when we follow the King. In these last few weeks, we've looked at what's often referred to as the beatitudes or blessings that Jesus begins His kingdom teaching on. And we've seen the nature of Jesus' upside-down inverted kingdom already in these first few verses. See, in Jesus' kingdom, it's the poor in spirit it's those who are broken over brokenness in their lives in the world it's those who are meek and gentle it's those who hunger and thirst for more of jesus and more of his ways that are blessed by god it isn't those who have a lot or know a lot or who are elite or extremely gifted or self-made it's not for those who step on in order to step up in life that are blessed with the kingdom blessings of heaven with comfort of the earth of satisfaction What we've already seen in these first few verses, what Jesus presses on and challenges us with is that those that the world often sees as poor and weak and foolish are actually the ones who are richest and strongest and wisest because they know and follow the King. It's the way of the inverted kingdom of King Jesus. Today in verse 7, it's no different. It says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And so as we look at verse 7 this morning, I want to answer, ask and answer three questions for us this morning. The first question is, what does Jesus mean when he says the merciful? What does Jesus mean when he says the merciful? The second question is, are you merciful? Are you merciful? And then our last question is, what are we to do now? What are we to do now? So, what does Jesus mean when he says the Merciful. Well, at face value, this is a pretty simple question with a pretty simple answer. Those that are called the merciful are those who show mercy, but, but it's not just those who show mercy occasionally exemplify that in their life. It's people that are marked by mercy. I mean, to be marked by something is, is to be able to say that there's some description that's given some characteristic that's attached to you that is so significant in your life that you could actually be described in that way. It gives definition to something. It's what people and places and things are known for. It's a way to categorize through characteristic. And we do this all the time in our culture. Sometimes it's based on demographics. We lump groups of people together based off of similar characteristics. We call people teenagers as a group of people. College students, widows, married, single. Sometimes it's based on economic status or vocational status. We categorize people as the rich or the poor, upper class, middle class, grad students, residents, management. We use descriptive terms to categorize people based off of common characteristics. Sometimes it's based off an affiliation or a following. We can refer to a whole baseball team as the Nationals because that's who they are. They're one team together. Nats fans are those who follow the Nationals. If you're into music, this happens all the time as well. We have different groups of people who have followings, right? If you're a big Jimmy Buffett fan, you're a parrot head, right? If you follow the Grateful Dead, you're a deadhead. And I know that some of you in here are believers. And that's okay, this is a safe place. So you can confess that if you follow Justin Bieber as your person that you like to listen to in music. But we use those things all the time, right, to categorize people, political parties, whatever it happens to be. So what we see Jesus doing here in verse 7 is saying that these people that he's talking about are people who show and display mercy in such a significant and consistent way that he can describe them and call them and categorize them as the merciful. The merciful, almost as if it's a proper name for this group of people. So that leads us to two sub-questions then. The merciful are this group of people. Then what is mercy and who do they show it to? Well, mercy and grace are words that are often used in Christianity. And the reason they're often used in Christianity is because they're often used in and throughout the Bible. So what do we really, do we really know what they mean? Lots of people give different definitions to grace and mercy. And oftentimes what we actually find in Scripture is that grace and mercy are used synonymously. They they can be interchanged with one another. But where we can draw distinction, we can say grace is a loving response when love is undeserved. Grace is a loving response when love is undeserved. Mercy is a loving response prompted by the helplessness of the one to whom you show love. Mercy is a loving response prompted by the helplessness of the one or those whom you show love to. Grace it has to do with pardon. Mercy has to do with relief. So, so what does Jesus specifically mean when he talks about the merciful and the mercy that they show? He's saying that God's kingdom people are people who show and give mercy consistently through compassionate care and continual forgiveness to others. They're those that show that consistently. They just give this compassionate care and love and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness to others so that leads to our second question well then who are the merciful showing mercy to the merciful show mercy to the miserable the mercy the merciful show mercy to the miserable and, and that's not meant to be offensive it's not meant to be offensive to call someone miserable in fact it's a, it's a good thing it's an okay thing to do that it's okay to be miserable See, to say or call someone miserable means that, that they are living in the context of a circumstance or situation or experiencing a state of misery. And so it's actually okay, it's actually good to admit misery. It's one of the most honest things we can do to admit that we're miserable to admit that we're walking through and in a state of misery. misery. It's one of the most honest things we can do in a culture that loves to only portray happiness, unending happiness and bliss, sometimes one Instagram picture at a time. It's good to be honest about the reality of our lives. Mercy, kindness, compassion, forgiveness is for those who are in misery. And they're in misery due to the brokenness of the world. I mean, brokenness has a common theme throughout the Beatitudes that we've seen over the last few weeks. And can we appreciate the authenticity of that? See, we, should, we shouldn't hear about brokenness and hear the words of brokenness and hear words like misery and think, man, it's, it's already a rainy day, man. It's already gloomy outside. Why do we have to talk about this? No, it's not meant to be, to cause despair or, or be depressing. It's just real life. It's just real life. See, mercy is for those who are in misery over physical and circumstantial things. Maybe it's sickness or poverty or oppression or injustice and you're in misery because of those things. But it's not just for your physical circumstances. People oftentimes are also in misery because of spiritual misery. See, the sickness of sin affects all of us on a very personal level. Because wherever sin is present, relationships are jacked up. And that begins with our relationship with God. Because of our sin, because of Adam and Eve, our first parents decided to rebel against God, we have inherited that same disease from them. And because of that, our relationship with God is jacked up. It's broken. There's dysfunction in that relationship because we've decided to go our own way. God offers his love and his care and his guidance to us, but we say, no, we don't want that. We want to do our own thing. So that causes a disjointed relationship with God. And because we have that disjointed relationship with God, now our relationships with one another it manifests itself there as well. We find brokenness. We experience brokenness in our relationships with one another. We either literally or figuratively step on each other's toes. We do things that hurt one another. Not always intentionally so, but sometimes intentionally so. But even if it's unintentional, we see that when sin is present, because we are broken people, because sin still remains in us, it causes tension and difficulty and dysfunction in relationships. The reality for all of us is from our heads to our toes, our minds and our hearts, we are infected and affected by sin totally and completely. So that means that even all physical misery in our world is linked back to spiritual misery. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, decided to rebel against God, all brokenness, is linked back to and tied to and is a result of sin. But here's something we have to understand. We have to understand this this morning. If we're really going to understand what it means to be a merciful people, anyone who is in misery is in misery because they can't resolve their circumstances. They can't resolve it. So people who are experiencing physical misery can't remedy their situation. People who are experiencing spiritual misery can't remedy their situation. That's why it's miserable. Misery arises out of distress. It arises out of helplessness. So the mercy that Jesus is talking about here meets people in their misery and seeks to alleviate their distress. What Jesus is saying is that His kingdom people are people then who are marked by this kind of mercy so much so that they can be called the merciful. Simply put then, The merciful are kind and compassionate and gentle towards those who are miserable and helpless. So this leads to our second question this morning. And I think we can see now that this second question is is a heart-probing question. It's a a life-assessing question. It's a difficult question to ask. Because Jesus says, if you're a part of his kingdom, his kingdom people are people who are marked by mercy. They're called the merciful. So our question this morning is then, are you merciful? Are you merciful? And let me tease this out a little bit more so that we don't shirk this question. Does your life exemplify mercy towards those in misery? Are are you patient or pretentious with people? Are you gentle or hard-nosed toward the downtrodden? Are you helpful or callous towards the backslidden? Are you compassionate or impatient with the fallen? Do you have a condemning and critical spirit towards others? Or do you have a merciful and meek spirit towards others? See, you see, in some senses, it wouldn't be surprising this morning if you sit here and you're feeling conviction this morning. If you ask yourselves those questions and you're assessing yourself as you sit there this morning, it wouldn't be surprising if you find yourself wanting when it comes to being marked by being merciful Because you and I live in a culture in a society that rails against being merciful. That's the world that we live in. See, in our culture, I think at best, mercy is tokenism. At best, it's tokenism. We give a little. We serve a little. We talk about it a lot. Maybe we even have a t-shirt that says we're all about a cause. We post stuff on Facebook. We like certain pages. We tweet things out. But that's the extent of our mercy. Because here's the reality, if we're honest if we're honest, we live in a me-centered culture. And a me-centered culture is the complete opposite of being merciful. See, being merciful requires personal sacrifice. It requires time. It requires resources. It requires humility. It requires patience. And most importantly, what it requires is that you love other people more than you love yourself. See, when we die to ourselves for love of another, we are sacrificing what is most precious to us, what is most valuable to us. We're sacrificing ourselves. We lay our own rights down. We lay our own wants and desires down. And see, the world looks at that and it says weakness. Weakness, why would you do that? Maybe even it calls it stupidity. Why in the world would you sacrifice all this for someone you don't even know? That person's in that situation because of their own doing. They can get themselves out. Why would you do that? Frederick Nietzsche, the 15th, the 19th century German philosopher, uh, is well known for his hatred of Christianity. He saw Christianity as weak and worthless. And he said this, he asked this question, what is more harmful, talking about culture and society, what is more harmful than any vice? This was his answer active sympathy for the ill-constituted and weak Christianity. He said, worse than any vice that you would have, any addiction that you would have, what's worse than that is that you would actually care for people who are ill-constituted and weak. And he says, that's what Christians do. That's why he doesn't like Christianity. But isn't it something interesting? He was onto something. He is someone who, who railed against Christianity, saw what Jesus taught and said, I get what your God teaches you. You're supposed to be merciful towards the weak and that's the problem with our world. But see, what Nietzsche did is he embraced this me-first mentality of the world and railed against the other, other's first mentality of the kingdom of God. He embraced what our world embraces and promotes today. And see, you and I, because we live in this culture, because we live in this context where everything is at our fingertips, where we blast out our happiness, where we talk about life in, in, in a kind of a false uh, reality of what life is really like, like, what life is really like, we don't acknowledge our misery, you and I can fall into that same functional mindset. We can be like the priest and the Levite on the Jericho Road, the past the beaten and wounded and robbed man on the side of the road, because we have more important things to do. We have to get to work, and we have to do maybe even religious things. There's more important things about my life right now than stopping and helping someone. We can be like the man Jesus talks about in the parable he tells in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, his disciples ask, Lord, how often, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? But what, what, what's, what's radical forgiveness really look like? And so Jesus tells this parable. He tells this parable of a man who goes uh, before his master and he owes an inordinate sum of money. So much so that it would take the rest of his life to pay it off. And he, and he pleads for mercy from his master saying, I don't have this. Would you, would you forgive me? Would you give me time to do this? And his master doesn't just give him time. He absolves his debt completely and he lets him go. But as Jesus says, immediately that man who'd been shown mercy goes out and finds one of his servants. And he, and he demands payment from him. This man who owes him very little money. And he says he literally kind of chokes him out for that money saying, you must give it to me now. And the man doesn't have it. And so he throws him in jail and says he'll take everything from him until he pays back this debt. And word gets back to his master. And this is what it says in verses 32 and 33 of Matthew 18. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? What's Jesus confronting in these two parables? In the case of mercy toward those in physical misery, misery in the parable of what's called the Good Samaritan, Jesus is confronting those who say they love God, who say they love others with their mouths, but their lives don't match up with it. Their lives don't match up. That They're not people who are willing to sacrifice for the sake of another. In the case of mercy towards those in spiritual misery, specifically those who have sinned against you, Jesus is confronting something different. As one pastor puts it, the Lord here warns the religious person who attends church, can recite appropriate answers, leads an outwardly moral life, but holds a death grip on his grudges. Jesus warns the one who will not forgive his relatives or former business associates, regardless of their pleas. He warns the one who nourishes hatreds, cherishes animosities, and otherwise lives in settled malice. See, this warning that Jesus gives is for those who have no desire to truly love others, have no desire to truly forgive others. And if that's you this morning, your soul is in danger. Your soul is in danger. You may think, well, how can you say that? That, That's a bold thing to say that my soul is in danger. I can say that because of what Jesus says. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. See, this gets to the crux of the issue, the crux of the question here. Is Jesus saying that if I don't show mercy, then God won't give me any mercy? As if God's holding out. God's kind of waiting to see, what are you going to do? Are you going to give mercy to people? I have some mercy for you, but I'm waiting first to see if you're going to jump through certain hoops and meet certain expectations. Is that what Jesus is really talking about here? And many people have interpreted it this way. But here's the thing. We don't just have one verse. We have all the Bible. And something we know that's true from all of Scripture. There's two things I want to point out. Two things that are true from all of Scripture. The first one is this. God's kingdom is not built on self-righteousness. God's kingdom is not built on the idea that you can bring something to him to earn something from him. That you can go and say, look at all the good things I've done, God. Would you let me into your kingdom? We know that throughout Scripture. The reality is we don't have anything good to offer him. Everything we do is tainted by our sin and being self-serving. The second thing we know to be true is that mercy, mercy can't be earned or it ceases to be mercy. That's the definition of mercy. Mercy is given to people who can't remedy their situation. Mercy is, is love given to someone who's helpless. So if we can earn it, then it ceases to be mercy. So this can't be read legalistically. What what I mean by that, it can't be read in a way that we can earn something, we can work towards something to earn mercy and favor from God. And we know that that's the opposite. It's not the good news of the gospel that saturates the pages of Scripture. See, I think the reality is, for most of us, the reason that we struggle, that you and I struggle with being merciful is because we don't understand our own state. We are miserable and in need. We are helpless and hopeless without the intervening mercy and grace of our merciful King, our gracious King, Jesus. See, the reality is if you don't recognize the helpless state you are in, you will not be able to receive mercy from God. If you don't acknowledge your helplessness, you won't be able to receive mercy from Him. Honesty in our misery is the starting place for being a recipient of mercy, And so God meets us there. He meets us in our misery. He he gives us mercy for our mess. See, sojourn, mercy has hands and feet. Mercy has a heart. Mercy has a name, and it's Jesus. And Jesus loved you when you were unlovable. He laid his life down for you even when you mocked him for doing it. He forgave you when you didn't deserve it. And he rescued you out of your misery and alleviated your greatest distress. That you were dead in your sin, forever separated from God because of your transgression, because of your rebellion, unable to be in right relationship with God. He paid your debt on the cross, saw it nailed to the cross, pouring out mercy and grace on you that you might be brought into his kingdom. See, God did not extend mercy to you because you worked for it, that's not the gospel. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, the Apostle Paul talks about this. He's, he's writing this letter to his, his disciple Titus, and, and he's reminding him of the truth of the reality of the mercy of God. Listen to these words. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. That seems pretty miserable to me. But then it says this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. See, sojourn in the self-infatuated world, we need to be reminded of the mercy we've received from our selfless and merciful King. Matthew 5, 7 is so challenging to us because it presses on the reality of our lives. It presses on the reality of our hearts and it forces us to be honest. See, when you and I don't show mercy to others, you indicate that you have not received mercy from God, which indicates that you don't think you need it from him either. Was that you this morning? Have you been acting the part of a Christ follower, but not actually following Christ? Have you actually received the mercy of God? Have you acknowledged your helpless state, your misery before Him? Have you you acknowledged that you're in this place, and that you know that you can reach out and take the cup of mercy that's offered to you by way of nail-pierced hands? See, sojourn, Jesus was wounded for your transgressions. By His wounds, your wounds can be healed. Mercy has a name and it's Jesus. So will you receive that mercy from him? Will you receive that from him today? Will you respond to his mercy today? Sojourn, the key then, the key then to becoming a merciful person is to become a broken person. And isn't that so backwards, so upside down from what our world would say? If we're gonna be somebody that's gonna help people, that's gonna serve them, that's gonna love them, we can't be broken But that's exactly where you have to be. Broken, understanding your own desperate need for God and His grace and His mercy in order to be able to show mercy to others. But that's the way of Jesus' upside down inverted kingdom. Desperate people love people who are desperate. So when we understand our own sin and the radical mercy God has shown us, we can look at others, we can look at them, and we can understand. We can understand in a very personal way their weaknesses because they're the same as ours. If you have a merciless, unforgiving spirit towards others, then you don't understand the mercy of God that's given in and through Christ. As one pastor says, mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. So Jesus' point and our hope this morning is that showing kingdom mercy is evidence that we've actually received kingdom mercy. You can't show kingdom mercy to those in misery, whether physical or spiritual, if you haven't experienced kingdom mercy in your own misery. So another way that we could word this beatitude, that we could word Matthew 5-7 this morning is this, blessed are the merciful for they have the merciful one as their Lord. And to that we can say amen. Praise God for that, that he's extended mercy to us when we were helpless and in need. So that leads to our third question this morning. What are we to do with this then? What are we to do with this? if you struggle to be merciful, if you assess your life this morning and you don't see a heart of mercy that leads to action and showing genuine compassion and kindness and gentleness and love and patience and forgiveness to others, what do you do? Well, I want to close with two related things. Two related things. Here's the first one. You thank God. You thank God that He has shown mercy to you through Christ and you walk in repentance. You thank God that he's shown mercy to you in Christ and you walk in repentance. If you know today that you've never truly trusted in Christ, that you've never received his mercy, then your first act of repentance, your first act of faith is to turn away from being self-seeking and turn to Christ who sought you. I encourage you, I implore you to do that today. If you find yourself here this morning saying, man, I've even given kind of a head nod to Jesus. I've talked about following Jesus. Or maybe you know that you've never actually talked about following Jesus, that you know you don't know him. May your first act of repentance and faith today be to turn away from being self-seeking, to turn to Jesus who sought you out, who sought you out to bring you into a relationship with him. If you are a follower of Jesus, you know that you've received this mercy from God, but this morning you know that you haven't been consistently merciful. Then you too can walk in repentance and faith by reflecting on the mercy you've received and coming close to your merciful King. So how are we doing, Sojourn? How are we doing? Are our mercy muscles being used? So the good news for every person in this room this morning, whether we know Christ or don't know Christ, is that through all of our faltering and failings, mercy is the characteristic that most characterizes our God. It's the way he likes to describe himself. In Exodus chapter 34, the living God has an encounter with Moses and he walks by Moses and he declares something about himself. It says in chapter 34, verse 6, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that refrain is used over and over again in Scripture. God referring to himself as the merciful one Is that the Lord, the God who's merciful and gracious, who's slow to anger, who abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's how he likes to describe himself. That's the God who extends mercy to you. And this morning he gives an invitation to you, whether you know Christ or you don't know Christ. In Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16, the author of Hebrews says this, since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Come close to your merciful King today. Whether that's for the first time or the thousandth time, He offers you mercy and grace in your time of need. See, that's both the reality and the beauty of God's kingdom, people. Is that you and I, though, if we know Christ, we're a part of Christ's kingdom, we're part of Jesus' kingdom, we're already there, but there's a now and a not yet to it. It's not in its fullness. We still find ourselves living in a broken world. And we still find ourselves having brokenness in our own lives. And so the reality then for us this morning, at some level, all of us, still experience misery. Which means that at some level, all of us are still in need of mercy. And a merciful people is formed when the merciful King calls us to himself and transforms our self-seeking, self-focused lives to be others-seeking and others-focused. And as our hearts and minds are changed, we're renewed. And as they're renewed, we live differently as a result. See, walking in repentance involves, requires actual movement in a new direction. Sojourn, when Jesus calls you to follow him, he really means it. He really means to follow him and see that embodied in all of life. And Jesus entered into our brokenness. He sought to relieve our distress. And now he calls you and he calls me and he empowers us to do the same in the lives of others around us until he comes again. And Jesus is both our example and our means to this happening. You can be merciful because Jesus is. You can be merciful because Jesus showed you what that looks like. He healed the sick. He spoke to the marginalized. He welcomed them into relationship with him. He forgave the sinner, which leads to our second action item. And what are we supposed to do? We can walk in repentance in faith, but the second action item, after we've given thanks to God for his mercy, we walk in repentance in places we haven't been merciful. We also recognize that mercy has movement to it. Mercy has movement. But let me be clear here this morning. Mercy isn't a movement. It's not something you sign up for. It's not some cause you join. Mercy has movement. It's part of who you are when you follow your merciful King. See, if we're going to walk in the way of our King, if we're going to be a merciful people, we have to move towards those Jesus is calling us to. If we're going to be faithful to the mission God has given us here in this community, we have to move towards those Jesus is calling us to. You know, one of the crazy things about our culture today is that that we can work oftentimes almost anywhere. I know there's some of you here in this church that literally could live anywhere in the country. As long as you have your computer and your phone and an internet connection, you're good to go. We're pushing teleworking, right? Work a little bit in the office, work a little bit from home. And it's amazing. We can dial into everything we need to dial into. We can hook up to everything we need to hook up to. We can see the people we want to talk to all around the world. We can Skype and and we can do all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to mercy, when it comes to showing mercy to people, you can't phone it in. You can't Skype it in. Kingdom mercy has movement. It has hands and feet and they're not someone else's hands and feet. They're your hands and feet they're yours. See, I think if we're honest, a lot of us like the idea of justice and mercy more than actually doing mercy. We like to talk about it. We like to be for it, but we don't actually like to engage in it. But Jesus moved toward the people he showed mercy to. He moved toward the sick. He moved toward the dying. He moved toward the destitute. He moved toward you. So now he calls us to do the same. Mercy has movement towards those in physical misery. Mercy has movement towards those in spiritual misery. As one scholar says, inherent in works of mercy is the self-denying virtue of entering into the injustices and tragedies experienced by others. See, kingdom mercy requires us to slow down enough and actually spend time with people, to listen to them to, to in, get engaged and involved into their lives to enter into their lives being merciful is not about being nice it's not about being tolerant it entails concrete actions of love and compassion it involves sympathetic grace to those who are oppressed or to those who have sinned In Jesus's invertive kingdom he flips everything on its head he says the first shall be the last and the last shall be first he says, look out for the least of these. Look out for the destitute and the despairing. Be patient with them. Be gentle and kind and caring and loving towards others. Long for restoration for those who have sinned, who are walking in sin, who have wrestled with sin or who have sinned against you. Long for that restoration and move towards them instead of turning away from them, turning your back on them, shunning them and condemning them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a pastor and a, a theologian in the mid 20th century in germany and in fact he was involved in kind of the resistance against the nazi regi- regi- regime uh, and he continued to preach the gospel and he was put into a a camp and and died because of his faithfulness to jesus but he wrote a lot and he wrote a, a treatise on discipleship and in this treatise on discipleship he talks about merciful people he talks about jesus's kingdom people and this is what he says about the merciful these people the merciful without possessions These strangers, these powerless, these sinners, these followers of Jesus live with him now also in the renunciation of their own dignity, for they are merciful. They have enough need of their own, yet they share in the need of others. They have an irresistible love for the lowly, the sick, for those who are in misery, for those who are demeaned and abased, for those who suffer injustice and are rejected, for everyone in pain and anxiety. They seek out all those who have fallen into sin and guilt. No need is too great. No sin is too dreadful for mercy to reach. Does that describe you? Does that describe you this morning? Does that describe our church? Man, I long for that to be the case. But here's the deal. The world doesn't want you to do that. The world looks at that and says, foolish, foolish, weak. Why would you spend your life doing that? But Jesus says to you, that is all that it's worth spending your life on. Does that describe you this morning? Merciful people can be found in the company of sinners, can be found in the company of those the world rejects, and they don't care about what people say behind their backs because they know the voice of their king and they're being faithful to follow him. Their dignity isn't found in what they have or who they know or what others think about them. Their dignity is found in the mercy they've received from King Jesus. He sought them out and welcomed them in their most miserable state. And for that, they rejoice and they give mercy to others. May what our prayer be, Lord, help us to be this way. That's that's my hope and desire for our church is that we would be marked by this kind of mercy, that out of the abundance of mercy that we've received, we would move towards those in misery and be merciful to anyone and everyone. And listen, we can think about that as we look out at Fairfax, we can think about that as we look out at the world around us, and that's a good thing to do. That's where we should move towards people, those who don't claim to know Christ. But we also should move towards one another in our own community. There are people in our midst right now that are in misery are dealing with difficult situations. Are you moving towards those people? Are you moving towards them? A line in a poem that's associated with the Statue of Liberty. It hangs on the inside wall of the pedestal of the statue. It says this, maybe you've heard this before. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed, to me. But shouldn't that be the cry, not of a country, but of God's kingdom people, of the church, of this church, that that would be our cry, to open our arms, to open our lives, to open our hearts, to open our homes to those who are in misery, whether physically or spiritually, to pour out mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness and kindness on those, even those who maybe have wronged you. See, this is why this is so convicting to me, That There are people, I've talked about this before, there's homeless people that walk by my house all the time. I see them, but do I actually take time to engage with them? To ask them their story, to talk about their life, just to talk to them. Sometimes just speaking to someone who's marginalized that the rest of the world overlooks can be an act of mercy, that you acknowledge someone as a real person. But something else that's convicting to me about this is there's people in my life right now that I'm having a hard time forgiving. I'm having a hard time being merciful towards because I feel hurt. And this is challenging to me. Am I marked by mercy in such a radical way that what would be exemplified in my life is the same kind of mercy I've received? Or am I nursing that grudge, holding on to bitterness, and not being willing to extend mercy to someone who I feel has hurt me? See, the reality of this for me this morning is I'm desperate for my merciful king to help me because I can't do this apart from him. Neither can you. You can't be the merciful person Jesus is calling you to be apart from his mercy and his help. So go to him and ask him to help you to be that person, to help us to be those people. Listen, you're not Jesus, and you're not gonna replace Jesus, but you can be like Jesus, and you can point people to Jesus, and you can allow Jesus to work through you to be who he's called you to be. Mercy has movement. Who do you need to move toward? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In our first act of response to the preaching of God's word this morning, we're going to come to the table and take communion. And so, as you eat the bread this morning, as you drink the cup this morning, allow the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to remind you and impress on you that you are eating and drinking. What you're eating and drinking is a reminder of mercy. That the bread symbolizes the fact that Christ, out of his love for you, allowed his body to be broken and beaten and killed. That Jesus, out of his love for you, as you drink the cup, it symbolizes Jesus' love for you, that he went to the cross and shed his blood for you so that you could know the Father, so that you could be brought into his kingdom now and forever, so that you could receive mercy and show mercy to others. He saw you in your misery and he came to relieve your distress and so as you eat and drink this morning as we continue to sing together this morning rejoice in that reality today that jesus came and sought you out and now he calls you to go seek others out who are in desperate need of the same mercy that you've received and if you sit here this morning and you're not a follower of christ i just ask you not to come forward to take communion but what i want to ask you to do this morning is i want you to respond to mercy Would you respond to the mercy that Jesus offers you, the cup of mercy he gives to you today? Turn away from anything else you're seeking for help in this life and turn to Jesus today. I just invite all of you, just don't feel the need to rush forward this morning. If you need to sit in your seat and pray, if you're not a follower of Christ, pray that God would reveal himself to you. Pray, ask God to save you today. If you're ready to take that step of faith, for those of you that are followers of Christ, if you're feeling conviction this morning, maybe you just need to hang out in your seat for a bit and just pray and confess that sin before the Lord and then come to the table and be reminded of the mercy that God is ready to give you. That he already has given you. So, whenever you're ready this morning, come forward. You can come to the front or head to the back. There's stations in both places. Tear off a piece of bread and take a cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you purposefully and out of love for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we just give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that your word does not sugarcoat things, that your word is not here to make us feel good all the time, but your word confronts us head on and it presses on the reality of our lives. And so we give you thanks for that this morning. And we pray that you would help us to understand your mercy for us We pray, Father, that you'd forgive us this morning for where we have not been a merciful people, where we have not shown mercy to others, where we've withheld mercy intentionally from those around us, whether inside this church or outside of it. Would you forgive us for that? At the very same time, would you transform us as individuals and as a church to be marked by mercy, to use those muscles of mercy that you've given us. Help us to be that kind of community, not for our glory, but for yours. So Father, we beg and plead that you would do that in us and through us. We thank you for Jesus who went to the cross to make this possible. We pray all this in his name. Amen.